Monday on a Tuesday episode of Spencer Speak Sports hosted by me, Spencer Swoboda. And I think I'll start off with the predictions that I got right over the uh, course of that. Well, that I made last week, a couple of them and that I've gotten right. Um, of course, I will likely ignore all the ones I've probably gotten wrong over over the course of of time but uh for now we're going to focus on a couple of the rights and essential quality who was the favorite heading into the the belmont stakes the, the final leg of the triple crown in horse racing uh essential quality held on got the win by i think it might have been a length uh, if i'm not not mis- mistaken uh hot rod charlie did have the inside did have the rail but um, Essential Quality was able to stride it out just a little bit more, get the victory there in the Belmont Stakes. I believe it was Brad Cox's first ever Triple Crown win as a trainer. Um, that could change too. It could, he could technically get a second win as as a, a well his second uh, Triple Crown race win as as an as a trainer. If um, why am I drawing a blank? Medina Spirit. If Medina Spirit happens to be disqualified from the Kentucky Derby and Mandaloon would, would get the win and, and Cox is the trainer of, of Mandaloon there. So who knows? It could be from zero to one and then quickly to two, depending on how uh, how the ruling goes for that. And the second one for predictions that I got right was Julio Jones going to the Tennessee Titans. It just seemed like, or at least to me, that the Patriots were had an outside shot and it seemed like they didn't really pursue anything based on reports. So not shocking to me. Um, Seattle obviously kind of grew a little bit in, in over the course of um, rumors and, and speculation, but I think, um, yeah, I think the Titans were, were kind of the main team after all of it. And it's, I think you're going to have some franchises that are going to be kicking themselves when uh i mean what was the competition like a second round and a fourth round pick so yeah i mean that's that's pretty cheap for for the type of wide receiver julio jones is even though he's 32 even though he may have some some injury concern especially after last season but uh yeah it's um very very interesting that just with that conversation how a team wasn't more aggressive with with say a counter or a um yeah something to something to go uh against that offer that the titans made but that's what his, julio's value was and, and that's what they got from could very well be a steal depending on how that offense looks i mean the titans offense looked pretty decent with with Tannehill, derrick henry at running back aj brown a wide receiver you had last season Corey davis uh, on the other side, and now Davis is a New York Jet. You also had John o. Smith. John o. Smith has left, so I don't know. I could. I think that offense will probably be a, at least slightly better, and I think the Titans have made some moves to make their defense a little bit better too. Um, so yeah, so so expect I would say the same stuff from Tennessee, maybe even a little bit better this upcoming season. Uh, so yeah, so got essential quality and got Julio Jones right. I want to talk about i mean i got i got a list of things here then don't really have a specific order um how about formula one so formula one this weekend um 
uh, we try to get this pronunciation of this country right. Azer Osman, Azerbaijan. There we, there we go. I, I got it. Um, the the Grand Prix there, and it's I, I mean it, it's probably one of the um, upper tier uh, Formula One courses uh, just because of the setup. It, it kind of goes in in the streets there a little bit, and people are able to watch from like hotel balconies or, or yeah or apartment balconies. So that's pretty cool, and. It was super eventful because I think there was what four laps to go, and and Max Verstappen, who's on Team Red Bull, one of the top drivers in the the Formula One circuit, uh, he blows a tire at like 200 miles an hour. So that that's that's pretty scary. Uh, fortunately, he um, was it crashed, but but it wasn't anything significant or serious. Um, so kind of yeah, a little bit of uh, I mean, uh, I guess a little bit of a, of a miracle. And so I believe the race went into a red flag situation. Then you come out of the race with two laps to go. And Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton, who's the best driver in Formula One right now, has been for many years. He basically locks up his brakes. And instead of taking turn one, he goes straight into kind of like the runoff area where it's just like a bunch of rocks and stuff. And um, I think he ended up finishing the race, but he finished like 15th. So you have the top two Formula One drivers out, didn't get any points towards the championship because you have to get top 10, I think, to get points. And now you have, let's see, uh, and the top three happen to be Sergio Perez. So Team Red Bull still gets the win and still gets more points towards the championship. And that's significant because, Mercedes, that the rival team there, those Red Bull and Mercedes go against each other. Uh, Mercedes had Valtteri Botas, and he's usually a top three guy. Botas gets thirteenth, so but you have Perez from Red Bull, um, kind of backing up Verstappen's unfortunate circumstances. Still gets the win for the team. Sebastian Vettel, who ha- was was very good, um, um, uh, probably more or less a decade ago uh and then kind of has, has kind of faded off over the course of the years he somehow gets a podium gets second and then you have pierre gasly who has won a race before i think he won one last season uh he got he got third so not your typical formula one podium that's for sure usually you see um typically it's like it's Lewis Hamilton Verstappen and then likely Botas and and that was definitely not the case super entertaining race um, I think that's one of those races if you're not in the Formula One if you somehow are able to see replay or the highlights of that 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 should get you um, very um, involved with with wanting to see some of those races that happen because I think it does get a rap that it is kind of boring um, but I don't know I think I think it's still very entertaining uh, even though you do have those very top tier drivers and and you usually get an idea of what's going to happen but it's still very unpredictable like we just saw this past weekend so there was that there was also let's see and I mean, I guess I'll go. I guess I'll go to NASCAR quick because uh, you had it in Sonoma at that racetrack out in California, and this it seems like a common theme because I'm I'm a Chase Elliott supporter, the number nine car for Hendrick Motorsports, and you have the five car and Kyle Larson, who 
seems to be stealing the show from Chase Elliott this season. I think there's been three separate races now where Larson's been first, and then Elliott's been second in in, in the order. And uh, but I mean, thankfully Elliott does have a win on on the season, um, so he's he's in the he's in the playoffs. It's just a matter of. Um, Obviously, getting wins helps boost the the amount of playoff points you get and, and puts you at an advantage when those start. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a good sign. It's still a good sign that because uh, Chase Elliott is putting together very consistent results, and it's just you know just hasn't crossed the uh, the checkered line first. But um, but ho- hopefully soon. I mean, I don't know what Hendrick Motorsports is doing, but apparently they're doing. Um, things with with kyle larson's car i think just a little bit better and i think uh, i don't know maybe maybe larson's just doing a little bit better driving at this point but um still good signs from chase elliott there but kyle larson gets his i believe third one of the season so um still part of that martin shuex and and alex bowman group of multi-time winners i think that's that's all we have i think that's yeah still three on that list um so hopefully hopefully more come um, as over the course of the season here before the playoffs let's do let's do golf actually and with the memorial tournament which is jack nicholas's uh tournament uh and nicholas obviously uh, uh, one of the best golfers ever and most majors all time and he designs this course. It was a redesign from last year. They did some different things. I don't know if it made the course more difficult or easier, but um, anyway, you had after the third round in this tournament, you had John Rahm, a top 10 player from Spain. He ends up testing positive for COVID. So uh, he's on the back nine of the third round and apparently a, a positive test comes so then they have to do another um another check or verification whatever so he's he's playing this round he's having a, a just an absolute um unbelievable back uh, back nine to this third round and he shoots um i think he finished 18 under par um through three rounds it's a 54 hole course record was leading by six strokes and then once he steps off the green after he makes his final putt, he finds out from the officials that he tested positive and, and is and is out. And obviously, you're probably wondering if he was vaccinated. He was not vaccinated. Um, so that definitely doesn't help things. And I mean, I'm, I'm assuming I, I'm pretty sure in, with the PGA rules, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to get any tests for COVID or whatever. So, I mean, if you... I, I mean, I, I guess I respect everybody's decision, but if he had the shot, I mean, he would be in a winning position. There was no way those golfers were going to catch him unless he really collapsed. I don't think that was going to happen. Um, so it was likely John Rahm was going to win the tournament, and it was likely that he was going to pick up a $1.6 million check. So a costly, costly move there. I mean, I, I mean, that's this. As, it's protocol, I guess. It's a, it's super unfortunate, but I mean that's that's the risk you're gonna take, I guess, if you're if you're not getting the vaccine. But um, anyway, so Rom out after round three, and now you basically have a battle between uh, Patrick Cantlay and um, Colin Morikawa and Morikawa, who won the PGA last year, um, and Phil Mickelson won it this year. Uh, that's a big age difference there. I think it's 23 versus 50. 
uh, in between the, the the last two champions. So that's so that's interesting. But um, anyway, Patrick Cantley wins after after the first playoff hole, and and I, I you know I think Morikawa came close. Uh, last last year as well at the memorial he won the there was a tournament that happened at the at Mirfield golf course but it wasn't the memorial it was a different tournament and the course played easier for sure last year in 2020 because covid and the bubble environment that's what they were trying to create so they just they played a separate tournament there before the memorial um and morikawa played well in both of those but um yeah it came up short again on, on, on the same golf course this year and uh but yeah, I, I think it was, it was, it was very entertaining, uh, for sure. Um, and then you had, I think you had Scheffler, Scotty Scheffler, uh, who was, who was, had a shot to potentially get into the playoff as well, but he missed a putt there on 18, but, uh, yeah, good win for Cantley and he Cantley is one of the, the better golfers in the world. Morikawa is as well. Um, so yeah, it was good to see that top level talent competing at a, at a top level tournament. Uh, that's for sure. Okay, I want to talk. Let's go to the Stanley Cup playoffs here, and I want to um, really get to the Bruins and, and Islanders series here because Boston needs to. Um, I'm not saying pull off a miracle, but their backs are up against the wall now because. Uh, Tonight, I well, I'm recording this Monday into Tuesday, uh, but Monday night, Islanders take out the Bruins five to four, go up three to two in the series here in the I guess East final um, or or this uh, quarter final match, whatever you want to say. Uh, but uh, yeah, so, so the Bruins are going back to the Coliseum to play the Islanders hoping to force a game seven to give it or bring it back to Boston. I'm pretty sure Bruce Cassidy after this game was, was very um, Bruce, uh, Bruce Cassidy is the, is the, the head coach for, for the hockey team. And he, yeah, was not too happy about the officiating thought the Islanders because of their, I don't know, the reputation of their, uh, players and staff to where they're they're getting more calls um, in their favor, and and the Bruins are are kind of not necessarily getting treated as like the bad boys of hockey, but they're but it seems like they're getting more penalties called on them. And I you know I I, I think there was some things to where like okay this was a penalty there, but this wasn't like that that type of deal. Um, I could there was there was some instances. But um, I think the thing that is leading to the Bruins' struggles a little bit is is kind of the lack of depth on the defensive end because, I mean, they're playing – I think they're pl- right now playing with five defensemen in the rotation, um, and that's that's due to to some injuries that have been happening. I'm pretty sure Lazar was was out this game. Uh, so, it, yeah, it, it doesn't help when, when you're kind of dealing with um, – uh, the the shorter end of the stick when it comes to depth of of, of uh, from your defenseman position and and that doesn't really set up the goalies well like Tuka Rask allowed four goals through two periods ended up getting replaced by Swayman and Swayman's going to be a good young goalie for the franchise once Rask is out um, whenever that may be 
Uh, so so Swayman allowed an early goal in the third period. Islanders were up by three. The Bruins were climbing back and, and just, just kind of ran out of time. Um, had, I would say, a fairly close opportunity towards the last few seconds of the game. But, um, yeah, the Islanders were get, able to give themselves enough of a cushion to get the win. And I think... I mean, there's got to be a game changer in this series coming up or in this in game six in order for the I think for the Bruins to to really have a, a good shot of winning this game. And I think it has to come from Taylor Hall on that second line. Uh, Taylor Hall had a pretty good close to his season. He had a decent first round against the Capitals, but he's kind of like there's there's just been situations to where you feel like he could have had his moments, but he like whiffs on the puck on an attempted shot. Like there's things like that to where um, it seems like he may be getting into his own heads a little bit. And um, you, you just you just hope that you know he can he could possibly find this mojo in game six to give that Bruins a little extra boost. It's going to be a big question mark of whether they go back to Rask or they put Swayman in. I'm thinking they would probably stick with Rask, but uh, who who knows? It it really it really depends on how um, desperate I guess Bruce Cassidy is um, and, and what and what he wants to do. But uh, the thing I think they they the Bruins have to limit, especially on the defensive end, is Matt Barzal uh, of the Islanders because uh, he is definitely warming up here in this series. Uh, in fact, he's he's probably on fire. He's probably one of the best players right now um, out of everybody in this series. So, and and with Berlamov, their goaltender, I mean, he's he's playing very well. Him and Tuka Rask are, are, are like dead even um, at this point. I think Berlamov is actually, because of, the events where Rask has gotten benched, Berlamov is definitely the best goalie in the series right now. And it's it's just a matter of how um, the Bruins can take advantage because they had, like, I'm pretty sure they had double the amount of shots on goal um, than the Islanders this in this game, in game um, uh, five of this series. The Bruins, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Bruins had like 40 plus shots. The Islanders maybe had 20. Uh, so, that's that's what I mean by you just got to take advantage of the opportunities. Uh, Brad Marchand had a possible uh, goal that he missed um, in, I think it was the second period. It could have been the first, but uh, but yeah, I mean not as not as bad as as David Pasternak was when in in Game Four when he completely missed an open net. I mean that like right there in game four when he when he missed that and the the puck kind of slid off the stick a little too much and it hit the hit the right post from the left side um you kind of had a feeling that okay this may not be the night for the bruins um if if your best player in posternock is is missing a, a shot like that but uh but anyway we're moving on to game six it's going to be a battle because this is the last year in the nassau coliseum so I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how if, if the stars align for the Bruins and they're able to force a game seven, go back to the garden. Uh, and what else? What else? Uh, there was one more series I think I wanted to touch on. Oh, of course, the Canadians, the Montreal Canadians. So in the North Division, because because like I've said before, you have the divisions for the first two rounds. And the winner of each division goes to the semifinals and plays each other. In fact, uh, going into the second round, the the playoff bracket was set already. Just the way the regular season points fell, and and each team, depending on whoever won, it was already lined up 
in like the points order based on the divisions. It was kind of weird how it worked out. But anyway, uh, the Jets Canadians series winner would play the Avalanche Golden Knights, and then the Lightning Hurricanes series winner would play the Islanders and Bruins. Uh, but anyway, the Canadians. After beating the Maple Leafs, who I thought the Maple Leafs would would come out of this North Division in the playoffs pretty easily, the Canadians come back from 3-1 down, beat the Maple Leafs in the first round, and then they go and play the Winnipeg Jets, who had plenty of rest after, I believe, they swept the the Edmonton Oilers. And and then all of a sudden, the Canadians put an unbelievable effort in and, and, and sweep the Jets four nothing in the series they they just got an overtime win monday night three to two and i mean i i know the canes are going to be the weakest team and they're going to be playing a a t- one of the two best teams in the league and the avalanche or the golden knights but um i don't know i mean it, it's it, they're there's magical things that happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, and and it, I just wonder, you know, maybe this the the, the miracle comes to an end here, um, and and the the Canadians come back to earth a little bit, but um, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you never know, but the the Avalanche and Golden Knights will definitely be a step up compared to the the Maple Leafs and and the Jets, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, the Canadians first team into the semifinals for for the um, for the Stanley Cup playoffs. NBA playoffs now, and just doing my constant checking of NBA and NHL stuff as the playoffs roll on here. But uh, finally into the second round here, and I guess it would be the conference semifinals. And you had the Clippers take out the Mavericks, which was, um, like I guess not not surprising. I mean, I, I thought kind of thought it was a toss up on the Mavericks. We're up three to two in the series. If it if they would just get it done in six, or the Clippers would somehow come back, or at least there would be a game seven. Um, but it, yeah, very very interesting because the first six games you saw the the road team win and then the clippers were finally able to or you had someone able to finally defend their home floor and then the clippers did so in the most important game game seven they got the win uh a surprising thing was um i guess i guess i kind of mentioned it it could be a possibility is the atlanta hawks and the 76ers and the hawks could be a threat but that was if Joel Embiid was out, and turns out Joel Embiid was healthy enough to play. I thought this slight tear of the meniscus was going to be more of a, of a slightly longer um, was would lead to a slightly longer absence. But I, I guess not. He was just ready to go. Um, contributed pretty well, I think. Uh, let me just check how many points he had. Yeah, he had <laughs> he contributed very well. Had thirty nine points in this game. Uh, so I don't think that meniscus issue is going to be a problem. That's for sure. But I think a person or a player that could be a, a problem is, is Trey Young, who had 35 points and 10 assists in, in this game. And the Hawks had a pretty substantial lead, a pretty comfortable lead in the fourth quarter there. But then the Sixers outscored them 41 to 29. Uh, the Hawks were able to stay away, but the Sixers made it very close, and I think that could propel them uh, to, to to be more successful in game two, that's for sure. Uh, but, 
yeah, I mean, a, a big, a big win for Atlanta to get, yeah, to especially get a win on the road in, in a series, a good way to start it off. I do expect Philadelphia to answer and, and, and tie this up one, one, but, but if you have Trey Young scoring 35, you got Bogdanovich scoring 21, John Collins emerging and scoring 21. Um, who knows the, the Hawks could very well be a problem here. Um, I think uh, a big separator was the three point shooting and the three throws. Uh, I think it was 42 versus 34% from three and well, Atlanta made twice as many threes as, as well to include that in there. And then they only missed one three throw. There were 20 to 21, 95%. And the Sixers were, I think were like just below 70%. So yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a bit, that's a big difference there. Um, Obviously, when you're when you're more more efficient, especially at the three point line, it's it, it, it goes a long way. But yeah, expect expect Philadelphia to answer in that series, Game Two. Uh, the Nets, it seems like they just played Game Two on Monday night, and the Nets just blew out the Bucks, one twenty five to eighty six. It just at this point, I mean, like might as well just. I think the Brooklyn Nets are going to win this entire thing. I just, I didn't have the full belief. In fact, I thought the Bucks could potentially win the Eastern Conference. I thought they they would beat Brooklyn in seven. Right now, it's not looking like that. Obviously, Brooklyn did what they uh, were supposed to do when when the the first two games of the series at home. Now it's up to Milwaukee. Can they answer that? Can they make it even up two two? Um, but I, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like you're at best seeing like a three-one series going back to Brooklyn for Game Five, just the way the the Bucks are playing right now. Um, and this was without James Harden too in Game Two. You had Irving and Durant, and it was just, um, yeah, just just so weird to me how the how the Bucks couldn't really answer anything i mean when Giannis only has 18 points um grant they they get a little help from like brooke lopez drew holiday chris milton even forbes there a little bit but um man if if Giannis is only is scoring less than 20 pretty much that's a big issue durant had 32 points for the nets irving added 22 um yeah it's just i think this the efficiency the way the Nets shoot the ball is just ridiculous. To where, yeah, fifty percent from three and and fifty two percent from the field in general. So just yeah, just um, ridiculous how how efficient they are on the offensive end, and and it really doesn't matter how good or bad the defense is. Obviously, the defense was was pretty decent because the Bucks only scored eighty six points. So. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's just one of those things. I just don't see how Milwaukee can win this series now. Um, the, the Nets just are so good offensively, regardless if they don't have Harden or they do have Harden for 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 um, the remainder of this series. I just don't see, yeah, I just don't see how the Bucks are able to win it. Um, what else? As I check here um all oh, the suns and the nuggets played game one of of their series and i'm i'm kind of thinking i yeah i i do like i have phoenix here and, and it kind of showed in game one and and they won 122 to 105 i just think 
the Suns have a little bit more offensive versatility with with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Add DeAndre Ayton there. The emergence of Cameron Payne, obviously. Um, it, it's going to be um, – because obviously you're going to have uh, Jokic for the Nuggets, but how are those other players going to contribute? Uh, yeah, Jokic had 22. I think the Suns would be fine with that. Um, I, I, th- I think the Suns can have better team contributions, I guess. Um, they can have more of that than the, than the Nuggets potentially in this series. Um, and yeah, it shows, it shows in game one because you had eight in with 20, Devin Booker with 21, Chris Paul with 21, uh, Mikhail Bridges had 23. That's pretty impressive for him. So, I mean, Jake Crowder also added 14. So they just had very good, um, um, offensive, um, output from, from their starters, and and yeah, the, the Nuggets just didn't have the answer offensively. Um, I think they they do have a deeper bench, but they they need the like. I'm pretty sure Monte Morris, who only had two points in this game in Game One against the Suns, I'm pretty sure he was scoring like at least in the 20s in a couple games against the uh, the Trailblazers in in the first round series. So I think Monte Morris has to step up. Michael Porter Jr. probably has to score more than 15. Jokic obviously has to score more than 22. Um, but yeah, the Suns had a, had a very good first round right there. Uh, is there anything else that I wanted to mention with NBA? Nope. That's that's all I got. All right. French Open and Tuesday you have the first day of the quarterfinals and the woman's draw is definitely I would yeah for sure wide open especially after the weekend because you have so Janšek who's a who's a slow a Slovakian player I think the first Slovak ever to reach a major quarterfinal so that's impressive you have Badosa of Spain who is the 33 seed in this tournament and she I probably expect her to win this match. Um, she took out Vondrasova last round in in a yeah very very good match, very good clash there in three sets. And Vondrasova being the the 2018 uh, not 2018 2019 finalist, that's a very impressive win for Badosa. I think um, just the way she is able to play on clay that could help her sustain a very good ranking for for a pretty long time in her career. I think she's very much on a rise uh the winner of that would play the 21 seed Rybakina, who um a little bit shocking to me that that she took out serena williams in the round of 16 uh this draw was pretty or this side of the draw was pretty wide open for serena to make the final fairly comfortably because if she beat Rabakina, she would be playing the or she would have played the 31 seed russian in pavlyuchenkova and Serena was like, I think in her career, six and O against Pavichenkova. And then if she won that match, she would end up playing, like I said, Zidansek or Badosa, who I think Serena would have a decent chance. But um, I'm I'm pretty sure it, to me, it seemed like Serena was overlooking Rabakina a little bit and and saw Pavichenkova down the road, knew how successful she was against Pavichenkova. And 
just didn't bring her a game uh, against Rybakina in the round of 16 there. Um, very, I think not necessarily underestimated what the young star could do, but she just looked a step, to, a step off. Uh, and just, I, I think that's just mentally, I, I think it was a little bit mental and physical, um, in, in, in that game to where Serena just, yeah, just didn't have it. And now you have Rabakina playing Pavlchenkova for a chance to go to the semifinals, maybe a good chance to make it to the French open final. And, um, on the other side, on the other half of the draw for, for the, for the women's, you have a little bit more competitive, but still kind of surprising. You have 24 seed, the American Coco Goff, who is, as I've said before the future of american tennis uh only 17 years old the, like the next venus and serena if you want to look at it that way and she has a very good shot to make the semifinals because she's playing um uh, cred, uh how do you pronounce her last name these names are driving me crazy sometimes uh krejcikova uh, of of the czech republic and I'm pretty sure she made the quarterfinals of singles, doubles, and mixed doubles. So that's very she's having a very good tournament, that's for sure. Um, but the winner of that, which I would think it would be Coco Goff, just the way she's playing. She had a she had a very good match on Monday against Anj uh, Jabor there, and all those really all those matches, um, those fourth round matches on that one half of the draw were pretty routine, like Swiatek, Sakari, um, Krejcikova, and and Goff. You know, I think I, I think I made to say Krejcikova like that that last name just a bunch of different ways, and hope one of them's right. But anyway, um, there's really routine victories there uh, on Monday on the woman's side. Um, but yeah, I think it, it'll hopefully be a little bit more competitive in the quarterfinals um and then the the, the final quarterfinal was sakari uh, of greece the 17th seed playing the 18 in switech and um i think if i i mean if i'm going back to my draw which is just absolute has just absolutely been set to flames and it is just terrible um with my predictions but i i'm i'm pretty sure i had sakari going to the semifinals. um to, to play like what I don't even know who the heck it was. Um, was it Barty? I have, I have no clue, but anyway, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so, so I, I had belief in Sakari here that, that she can make a deep run, but the way Swiatek is playing, being the defending French open champion, she just seems like on a roll. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Coco versus, versus Swiatek there and Swiatek gets to the final, but um, I don't know what we've seen in this tournament to where the highest seed left in the quarterfinals is the eighth seed in Swiatek and you don't have a top five seed, which I think that's the first time ever in 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 a major or, or maybe it was just in the french to where you don't have a single top five seed in the quarterfinal um yeah it's just like i said it's, it's crazy but um you still have that defending uh, french open champion in Swiatek, and and i she has to be considered the favorite especially with who's left in the quarterfinals um and i guess coco goff's um inexperience of the, of the big big moments um could could play a factor as to why i think um she she may she probably won't make it to the final uh but heck who knows at this point like i said um 
if I'm going over the men's singles, a little less surprising of what the quarterfinal is looking like. The biggest surprise is Fokina, who um, from from Spain, Davidovich Fokina, a young Spaniard there, making it to to the quarterfinals. Now playing Alexander Zverev. I think Zverev will still probably win this match just because of what I saw last round in the round of 16 when he beat Nishikori pretty handily in straight sets. It was like two, one, and four. Um, yeah, I think I think his momentum will carry. Um, Fokina has played some tough matches. He he just played a really um, a tough match. I think it was on Friday, June fourth, when he beat Casper Rude, um, a five set battle. Um, Played a played a fairly tight four setter against Elbonus there, winning six four six four four six six four. So I don't know. It's it's going to be real interesting to see how his health has been because he's played some smaller tournaments and he's kind of he's kind of had you know some some wear and tear show up to where where he struggled towards the end of the matches, but. Uh, who knows? I mean, he's made it this far, but I I, I do favor Zverev there. Uh, Sispatas and Medvedev, uh, like me and probably a lot of people, I did not expect Daniel Medvedev, even though he's the world number two, still isn't the strongest player on clay. I was surprised that he made it this far, um, even though he's he's played to his seed. But I do expect Stefano Sispatas to win this match and set up the match against Zverev in the semifinals. Um, but I just I don't know. I just I know Medvedev is six and one against Sispatas like all time in their head to head. But uh man, I, I just I like Sispatas just a little bit better on clay. But I don't know. Medvedev's proving us all wrong. He could possibly do it again, but I, I just I like Sispatas there in that match. And then if we're looking at the next day, this would be on Wednesday. You have Djokovic and Berrettini. Now, Berrettini is going to be super fresh because he's had a, uh, multiple days off now because of Federer's withdrawal from the tournament. That was the round of 16 matchup that should have happened, but it didn't. Berrettini now playing Djokovic. Djokovic survived a, a set, um, a five-set battle on Monday versus Musetti, who um, I think is going to be one of the the next up and coming stars um i think a bunch the italian yeah i think this the italians in general are in good shape with musetti yannick center of course matteo berrettini um but yeah musetti won two uh yeah the first two sets both in tie breaks and you're thinking like okay potentially an upset going on but djokovic just turned went up a, a bunch of different levels and and just absolutely took out Musetti these these last uh the last two sets and then Musetti eventually retired in in, in the fifth set down uh yeah for love and yeah Djokovic only lost one game in the last three sets to to win that and Musetti I think um just his lack of experience in the majors kind of showed there um seemed like he was playing that typical best of three or he was in the mentality of the typical best of three match. But uh, no, this is a best of five, and you're playing the world number one, Novak Djokovic. And man, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> Musetti probably got hit like a freight train um, at the start of the third set. Uh, Djokovic did not lose a lot of points in 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 those um, in sets three through five. Yeah, it was just... Um, 
yeah, it was it was kind of jaw dropping of of how he how he turned that around, and um, but yeah, so he'll be playing Berrettini. It'll be it'll be interesting. I, I still like Djokovic there. Uh, Rafa Nadal is playing Schwartzman. Nadal could have had a potentially tough match against Yannick Sinner. He didn't win seven five six three six zero in the in the fourth round or or the round of sixteen. Now he plays Schwartzman. Schwartzman can be a tough opponent on clay. I think he's he's given Rafa some problems in the past, but I, I still expect Rafa to to win that. Set up the Djokovic versus Nadal semifinal match. Um, the winner of that could very well go on to the win to win the final. Still don't count out the younger guns of Zverev and Sispatas on the on the bottom half of the draw. But um, Novak and Nadal, the, the, uh, yeah, consider those two the favorites. And whoever comes out of that top half, um, expect them to have a good shot to win. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's the uh, kind of update there uh, going over the quarterfinal matchups for the French. Azur Osman, 